Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hi, this is Delisa Milton Jones, and you're listening to Dishing and Splitting. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel welcoming you to another Dishing and Swishing podcast. And, you know, there's been so much going on as we head towards the playoffs post All Star break in the WNBA that, you know, it's just too much for one person to talk about alone. So I brought in a couple of people this time for a mini roundtable that we can kick around all the things that are going on in WNBA. First, I'd like to, both are first timers, so I'm glad to have new blood on the podcast. And first, let me welcome NBA TV's Angel Gray. Angel, how are you? I'm great, David. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Angel. You did great coverage on the All-Star Game. I loved your interviews on NBA TV, and it was just a lot of fun and informative listens. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And then the other person, also new to Dishing and Swishing, is Eric Nemchuk from FanRag Sports, one of the blogger extraordinaires out there for the WNBA, and it's a pleasure to have Eric on board. Eric, how are you today? Hey, David. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So as long as Eric is based out of Chicago, and we know that Angel has worked for the Dream in the past, so I wanted to start this off by revisiting two weeks later the trade that everybody thought, well, a lot of people thought was one-sided at the time, Amani Boyette and Tamara Young, going to Atlanta, and draft pick, and Jordan Hooper going back to Chicago. It, I, I read numerous places that Chicago was, quote-unquote, tanking because of that deal. And Eric, you know, just you shake up the locker room, and you shake up the results. The team is 3-0 and since the trade, and, you know, what are you seeing that's different in the sky subsequent to that trade? Well, it's interesting. First of all, I, I don't like to say teams are tanking because this is only a 12-team league that plays 34 games, so it's it's easy for one or two games to kind of, you know, throw everything off. But, you know, for this guy, I think we've got Kalia Copper starting now. That only uh, increases the team's athleticism. Uh, it allows them to put more three-point shooting on the wing with Jordan Hooper. And just, you know, Imani Boyette, she wasn't playing a lot. Um, I'm not sure if Samuel Young really fit the system that Amber Stocks is trying to run. So it's just a matter of uh, I, I think they were they were getting it together uh, before the trade anyway, which I think we're going to talk about later. So I think it's more of just uh, them continuing to kind of find themselves. Uh, we're going to talk about Courtney Vandersloot, right? Like she's 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 just been amazing. So yeah, it's uh, I think it's been less to do with the trade and more of just them continuing to do what they've been doing well. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Angel, you know, they, this has turned out to be now with Vandersloot and Quigley. You know, arguments can be raised that it's the best backcourt in the WNBA right now. Mm-hmm. It can be raised, especially when you have Vandersloot that has four straight games with a double, double. you know, just an assist and points. Um, what she's been able to do is being that um, solid floor general for her team and then finding Quigley on the three-point line. I've seen Quigley and her confidence just grow tremendously coming off that all-star appearance. Of course, I was talking with her at All-Star, and I said, you know what, congratulations for finally being recognized as an All-Star, especially being a two-time six-man woman of the year. Um, but the fact that she just understands what she can do and has the confidence of her teammates in her, you know, just to pull the trigger whenever she needs to. And I think um, 
even what Eric was saying, at this point, for as far as the trade, it comes down to the pieces that fit right in the system, especially for Amber Sox in her first year. And what she has to do, of course, you know, with Elena Deladon um, going to the Mystics, a lot of things have to shift. And I think, um, obviously, with uh, Amani Boyette and Tamara Young, who was drafted to the Atlanta Dream, you know, in their first uh, season, um, I think that that's more of the style. They're still trying to figure out how they're going to work everything in. Imani Boyette isn't getting a lot of minutes, and Tamara Young as well. But um, just to vote on, you know, what Vander Stude and Quigley have been able to do, it's been so much fun to watch, very entertaining. And um, they've been efficient at what they've been doing, and I think that's, you know, it shows in their record and what they've been able to do so far. You know, when, when we look at Atlanta, you know, Cooper made the point of saying that Boyette was going to be important because they needed help on rebounding and that she was going to be a rim protector for them. But she, as you mentioned, she's not gotten a lot of minutes. And what was interesting to me is when they first made the trade, you know, their rebounding numbers actually went up, like like you would think, for the first few games, right. even more with with Young playing than Boyette. But the last mm-hmm. two games, now granted they're against New York, one was against New York, one was against San Antonio, they only pulled down 31 rebounds. They've been averaging over 35 a game. So so it's actually almost looking like the team is starting to slide back a little bit, which is, you know, not something that I would have expected. Uh, you know, Angel, when you, you, we'll stay with you for a second on this. Giving a little bit of a, a slack because of losing someone like Angel, of course, and, but I've been a little puzzled with some of the rotations. Uh, you know, Bria Holmes played well last year, not getting as many minutes this year. You know, how long does it take – do you, do you, in your opinion, should it take to pull all these pieces together? I mean, it's a, it's surprising to see this kind of losing streak at this time of the season to me. And and I'll say this too, especially for a locker room that really gels well together this season, um, especially with the leadership and you know Lasia Clarendon and as well as Elizabeth Williams and then Tiffany Hayes who stepped up. You would think that they would be on a stronger route, especially um, adding one player that is on her campaign to become the Rookie of the Year and Brittany Sykes. Um, for them to have seven games lost in a row, you know, in the last seven games is, is I, it raises a brow, you know, and um, especially when you're looking at what you said before, David, just adding that extra um, player in the paint that can pull down rebounds. I think Sancho Little is um, a great player, um, but she isn't the same player that she was, you know, five years ago, you know, um, as far as playing the lanes and, you know, really getting out there. Like, she's battled with a few injuries, but um, it, it comes down to Elizabeth Williams being in the paint and a lot of the guards, you know, coming in and battling. And so I think that Imani Boyette does add that presence inside, especially with her wingspan um, being the longest on the team. But it's the – the number one thing, as you said before, would be the rotations and how everybody is going to be able to play and what pieces are going to play well together. Um, I think that's been a question mark um, throughout this season, especially with Michael Cooper and how he does things in his offense. Um, we know that he's a defensive coach, and, and that's what he you know prides himself on, so he's going to bring those defenders in. But when it comes down to scoring and being able to um, have players you know that step up, you know, it's it really, I don't think it takes that much time, but I'm also not a coach. <laughs> um, but I do think that um, it's going to be very interesting. It, it needs to change quickly because I think that um, who knows what's in, in store for the Atlanta Dream next year. Um, but I do think they have the pieces in order to be better than 0-7 in their last seven games. 
Eric, when you look at the backcourt there, and you thought, you know, Sykes has been, you know, doing quite well, and I know she people were talking about her in the Rookie of the Year race, but you know, it, it surprises me when I see that Sykes when I see Sykes taking more shots than Tiffany Hayes before Hayes was hurt, obviously. Uh, you know, it just seems like they're. The inmates are running the asylum on offense. I mean, does that make any sense to you? <laughs> no. Wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense for Hayes to be shooting the ball more than Sykes? I mean, you'd think so, but once again, I'm not a coach either, so I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's a product of uh, Atlanta. They really struggle in the half court sometimes. Like, if they aren't uh, getting stops on defense and getting out in transition, then they're they're going to have trouble manufacturing good offense. And I think that's uh, that's a product of that. You know, um, Brittany Sykes, she's a great one-on-one player. She's a great athlete. She's a great slasher. There's no denying that. But I think it, it, where, where Atlanta gets into trouble is when they don't move the ball and they try to go one-on-one too often and, you know, get draw fouls and get to the free throw line, which they're great at, by the way. But it, when when the offense breaks down, like, you you got to try running stuff first. Tiffany Hayes, again, great player. Great player getting the free throw line, great one-on-one player. But Brittany Sykes as well. So I think that it's going to take some time. Sykes is only a rookie, you know. She's It's going to take her time to get acclimated, and she's playing very well in pretty much all facets of the game. I'm sure you'd agree. But it, it, it takes time, I think, for rookies to kind of know their role in the offense, if you will, which is, in my opinion, what makes Alicia Gray's season in Dallas all the more impressive. But that's an aside. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just the shot distributions, I agree. That's a little funny. Like, looking at their last game against San Antonio, uh, Brittany Sykes, 22 shots. The next closest was Demiris Dantes with 15 shots. That's it's probably not ideal. Lacia Clarendon only shot the ball five times. So, I, again, I think that, that's that's a product of them not being able to get anything in the half court. And uh, leading into that would be bad half court defense. Like, it's hard to play with pace if you're pulling the ball out of the net all the time. San Antonio shot 52.4%. So it's funny because the, the trade, you know, you got two great defensive players in Tamara Young and Imani Boyette, but their defense has not really been that great since the trade. So that's that's something they need to address, in my opinion, just as much as they do their offense. And if I can add to that, David, just what Eric was saying, um, like we said, Atlanta is known, Coop was known for his defense, and that's trickled down in, into his team. Like, he wants to be that defensive team, but, you know, Asia McCautry losing her, I mean, that is a big deal. You know, of course you can have people that step up and you want to promote the fact that you have other players on your team that are are ready to step up, but she played the passing lane. She was a great defender. You know, a lot of her points came from playing the passing lanes, getting out and scoring, you know, in transition. And I think that's what the dream has to do more of at this point, and I don't think we've seen a lot of that, um, which is very interesting. But then also with Lasia Clarendon, we you know talked about her being an all you know an all star, but a lot of her is getting other people involved. So at the at the end of the day, you see some players too. Where is the identity for who is going to be you know the go to player? I've seen Sykes with the ball in her hands on many possessions, you know where she's taking the last shot. She's a rookie, as you said. Like how much you know trust have you earned from your teammates? I think a lot of times it comes down to you know. Well, we love each other in the locker room. Everyone has to step in. But I do think there has to be that seniority and that, you know, veteran on the team that steps up and says, this is how things are going to get done. And Tiffany Hayes has to be able to be that player to step up and do that.
Now, I want to move on because there's so many other topics to talk about, but one of the things that we talked about, we started with when we were talking about Chicago, was you guys mentioned that the sky had already started to write the ship before this trade. And you look at San Antonio and you look at the job that Vicky Johnson has done there in the second half of this season. And before we went on the air, both of you guys made a great point to me, and that was look at what Kurt Miller did the second half of last year in Connecticut and look where the sun is now. So it's very interesting. Uh, Eric, you know, the job that these coaches are doing, you know, seem to be laying the groundwork for some potentially great things. These are young coaches that took a lot of heat at the start of the season for the way their team started. But, you know, it looks like that both Stocks and Johnson could possibly have the last laugh. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, once again, I'll bring up the uh, the uh, ske- the 34-game schedule. It's tough. It's really tough, uh, especially because, you know, yeah. training camp is so short. All these people are coming back over from uh, Europe or wherever. It's it's tough to get everybody acclimated uh, when you're not a veteran squad like uh, some team up north up there. But, like, for stocks, she wants she, – she, she does things differently than Pokey. Um, it's, it was a new system she brought in there. I think – I'm not sure uh, – I can't speak for San Antonio because Vicky Johnson was an assistant under Dan Hughes for all those years. But I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty down there as well because she only got a, a one-year deal. And that team is so young. There's so much roster turnover there. It's, it's tough. It, it's hard to do. And, you, you know, I'll go back to the old cliche, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's hard to compete with these teams like Los Angeles and Minnesota who have all their players coming back, who have played together forever, who have coaches who have been there forever. And you're a rookie coach coming in, and you have to deal with basically an entirely, entirely new team. So I think just the 34-game grind, it's difficult on coaches, especially younger coaches. But given time, things will even out. Uh, I don't think San Antonio was going to play at a, a two-win pace the entire season just like Chicago wasn't going to finish with four wins the entire season. That, that wasn't realistic. Um, so I, I think I think that the way they've been playing uh, these uh, lately is more indicative of the teams that they really are. I'm not sure if you two would agree with me on that, but like I said, I, I don't think either team was as bad as they, uh, they had shown early on. It just takes time for teams to get adjusted and for players to get acclimated. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eric, it would, I mean, the Connecticut Sun started off 0-4, you know, (laughs) look at what they're doing now in that third spot, you know, spot into the, you know, playoffs. So I think it's about trusting the process, knowing your team is, you know, what I like about what Kurt Miller was saying, you know, years ago was winning your locker room, putting the pieces together. And, David, you brought it up just like that second part of the season, how things shifted. A big part of that was Courtney Williams coming over and, you know, being a part of that trade, which he thought was a good fit for her to be on his team, you know, and a lot of people question that trade, but he knows what's best for his team. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that, just how they run their programs, and it's a process and trusting it. It really does seem to be a, a big difference in locker rooms and the need to have a cohesive locker room and that type of attitude in the WNBA right now, uh, not just in Connecticut, but like you mentioned, you know, people liking each other in Atlanta and Chicago, but, you know, it, it's important, but how important? And what I wanted to get back to for a second is, Angel, you mentioned the word identity in talking about Atlanta. 
to me, the one question that I still have about San Antonio and the one question that I think is going to haunt them as this season comes to an end, as they only have about five games left, is they still have not, in my opinion at least, come to any kind of identity as to who they are with Plum, Jefferson, and McBride as three guards. They, you know, due to the the uh, reluctance of Johnson to play them together when healthy and Jefferson being injured, it just seems like we're still we're going to end this season still wondering who's the point guard of the future for San Antonio. Well, I think uh, if you're looking at the last few games for the Stars, that Kelsey Plum has shown. Um, great improvement. Obviously, it didn't help that, you know, she was injured at the start of it, and then obviously Mariah Jefferson as well um, dealing with injury. But I do think that her confidence in in being that floor leader, uh, she's put in positions where she um, is successful coming off of those screens, side screens, high screens, and then setting up also players as the rollers going to the paint. Almost that, you know, Nash and Sotomayor type look, and that's what we've seen a lot in the last couple games coming off career high assists and career high points, you know, for Kelsey Plum. And I think as the season is and as her career progresses, we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I think that you choose a player such as Plum at number one because you want her. And uh, we'll go back again. You weren't sure if, you know, the, the stars were going to keep her. You know, and I think because of her being there, um, I think Ruth Riley trusts her in that role. And I think it comes down to how are people going to play off of that and having that backup point guard. Um, And that's just what I'm seeing right now as far as the season goes. But Jefferson showed her value last game as well. I'm playing both sides here, of course. Uh, Jefferson Hmm? showed her value putting up big numbers in a short period of time. Eric, there's one thing that I do want to want to call a fa- can I call a fact also an urban legend? Uh, there was a lot of talk about the stars going five and zero with Plum playing 30 minutes. Uh, that is a correct statement. That is a fact. But I would like to also point out that two of those games were against Indiana. One of them was against a Deladon less uh, Washington team. One was against the the Seattle team that Jenny then just got fired right after that, and then New York, who is a, who is an inconsistent but tough opponent. So, so while it's true, I wouldn't exactly say they went out and beat Minnesota and Los Angeles in those games. So, so while while Plum has done well and done that, they weren't against the best competition. Uh, she ha- she is definitely though you can see the confidence in her game. And, you know, she has made herself into, uh, you know, a probable choice for the all-rookie team. Uh, what do you – when you watch Plum now from at the start of the season, what do you see different? Well, uh, I think Angel brought up a lot of good points already. When when you – let's go back to uh, when she played at UW, Washington. How did she succeed? They ran a lot of high pick and roll for her, and they spaced the floor extremely well and just let her go to work. That's – it really wasn't that complicated. San Antonio, they don't have – the whole team isn't built around her in San Antonio. So that's going to take time for people to get adjusted to, right? And especially she's got to, you know, the, the speed of the game, the physicality of the game, much, much different uh, going from college to the WNBA. So and, – and then she had to play off the ball a little bit, which I don't, I don't think she was that used to. So 
It's, it's just it's just been a process to her. I think her point guard skills have improved. She's been able to slow the game down personally. Um, she's definitely playing with more confidence. I agree. Uh, like Angel said, she's been great with pick and roll, but she always has. That's that's been one of her strengths forever. So I, I think it's been a matter of San Antonio uh, catering to her strengths as well. I think they've changed a couple things offensively, what they want to be doing with her in the starting point guard role, and just her getting uh, just her getting those minutes, uh, thirty minutes or more, regardless of, of whether or not you know correlation does not equal causation. But Kelsey Plum playing a lot of minutes down the stretch it can only be good for them, you know both mainly for the future, but for her immediate confidence or in her immediate uh, gelling with the team. I think her team, I think her future with the team is more secure now than it was at the start of the season. Of course, I don't really have any insider information on that, but I think I could definitely see them being, you know, more convinced as to what kind of a player she can be in the WNBA based on her, her play the last month and a half. And yeah, I do think she's pretty much a lock for the all rookie team now, to be honest. Uh, would you guys agree with that? No, I think so. I agree now. The past couple games, yeah. The past yeah. couple games, yeah. I'll also give it the caveat that there isn't a whole lot of competition this year for the all-rookie team, too. No, I, other than I, I wanted to it, say that. Really but, good uh, and then really weak. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, who would you say were, would be your top three or even four players that could be on that list? So I'm sure we have our own i got to pick three or four rookies? <laughs> Well, Alicia, to oh me, Alicia God. Gray is the rookie of the year, to me. Mm-hmm. Ali, you know, uh, Saturday night was the first time I saw her in person when she was in Connecticut, and I was very impressed. I, I really was with her overall game, uh, the way that she the, – she, I don't even think she got credit for all the steals she actually had in deflections. I th- thought they mm-hmm. ripped her off in the stats, but she did a, a great job against uh, Connecticut. Uh, Sykes has definitely – you know, one of the top rookies, Plum. Oh, and we go downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd like. To, you know, it's actually a good place to do a little bit of a segue into uh, talking about Seattle for a second. Uh, I, you know, one of the people that I really thought was going to have a good rookie season was Lexi Peterson. I thought she was going to get opportunities and. You know, it, it was nice to see her get a couple minutes the other day against Phoenix. But, you know, mm-hmm. Angel, one thing that jumped out at me when I watched them play the other day against Phoenix was that Gary Kloppenberg seemed to sh- trust the bench a lot more than Jenny Busek was doing. Now, granted, Jenny was probably aware that she was coaching for her life at the time. But mm-hmm. one thing that I had seen out of Seattle was, you know, you've got Sue Bird and even to an extent Crystal Langhorn. You can't run these players 30-something minutes a game. And I like the way that Kloppenberg started to use his bench a little bit. You have to have depth in this league. That I mean, in order to be successful, I know that you a lot of you know coaches maybe go six, seven players, but in order to get to go deep and be successful in this league, you have to trust your bench, especially um, just giving a blow. If it's, if it's even for that, and as we said before, even with Kelsey Plum, you gain confidence by being put in – game situations, by gaining that experience, not just in practice, but being on the floor. And I think that shows, you know, a, it's a, that's a great sign for Seattle. I mean, you know, you have the pieces in Jewel Lloyd, you have, you know, Sue Bird and, you know, Langhorn and Alicia Clark, but these are, the bench players are going to be huge as far as 
stepping up, you know, even defensively bringing that burst, that energy, you have to be able to have that down the line. And I think I agree with you completely, David. Like, you have to have that trust and go early even in the bench to say, hey, we need you all, you know, engage because at any point I can call your number. And I think a lot of players will even put more effort on the floor when they know that the coach is trusting them to, to be that player. And, Eric, did you get to see uh, any of that game against Phoenix the other night? The other side of that, too, is, you know, Brittany Griner was in there, and after missing mm-hmm. those games, didn't look like she missed a beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she's been uh, – it's really a shame she went down because I think we could have had a, a very tight MVP race between her and Sylvia Fowles. With, when's the last time we had that with two post players? Oh, it's the year it, of the but... post. I will go out and say that. It's the year of the post. <laughs> No question. Yeah, and uh, for all our for all our post players out there listening, I'm sure that's uh, Lachina Robinson. Shout out! Uh, I'm sure she's very happy to see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, and none of them of course. Though. And let's say, let's not throw, let's not forget John Quell Jones, who has right. been a revel, been really a revelation in Connecticut. She has just been an unbelievable player. So it definitely has been the year of the post. But let's not forget something. Those posts have to get the ball. So, yeah. uh, you know, th- you know that, those guards are get- – one of my pet peeves in college, in, in college players was always the lack of ability to get the ball to the post player. And it seems like it's, you know, starting to have a little bit of uh, rejuvenation there that they're actually getting the ball to people where they can do something. Mm-hmm. I think it well, creates more balance. You have to have that balance. I was speaking to Lisa Clarendon just about that with Elizabeth Williams. And she said, yes, the year of the post, you agree. Um, but then she also said that that's because our, our guards are knocking down shots. They're extending the floor. They're able to get us the ball, you know, right where we want it, knowing what angles we, we are best at, you know. And for the post players, too, not being predictable, going over either shoulder, being able to finish at the glass, you know, to, to force other teams, you know, to say, we got to pick and choose or it's just going to be one-on-one. You know, and at that point, yeah, kudos to the guards for getting better and, you know, off-season, knocking down shots, not being stagnant, you know, moving without the ball, being slashers. We've seen a lot of that. But I think it comes down to the guards knocking down shots and the post players not having the ball, holding it for too long, like three, four seconds in the shot clock, but really knowing what they want to do with the ball right when they get it. Right. That's a great point. The other thing is a lot of these posts, especially props to Sylvia Fowles, because Sylvia – probably averaged one assist every 10 games for the first part of her career. But these posts have all gotten really, really good at, pa- at passing the ball out and then reposting up and getting position and moving quickly. Defenses are trying to double team and come in on them, but they're they're moving the ball. You get people like Fowles, Williams, uh, like you mentioned, Parker, uh, obviously is a great at a sit, you know, passer, as is Agwumake. You know, they, they're doing a Tina great Charles. job getting the ball. Yeah, Tina Charles. You know, is another perfect example. So it's kind of neat to see. That's for sure. I mean, I always loved, I always loved the Yolanda Griffiths that would go in there and bang. But uh, you know, now the day, now you got to have a face-up game. You got to be able to pass. You got to be able to move. Uh, not to say that Yo wouldn't have adapted because she still would have beat the crap out of everybody inside uh, and, and adapted. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but but it's but it's nice to see this group going on too. So, you know, we have taken a little bit more on these topics than time that I had wanted to. So what I'd like to do though is uh the way I usually end the round tables is I want to give each of you an opportunity 
to take a couple minutes and just talk about something that you want to. So uh, something that you'd like to share, something that particularly jumps out at you of interest, someplace where you're going to be that people can see you soon or read you. Uh, so, Angel, let, let's let you go first, ladies first. Uh, chivalry is not dead <laughs> on this and intuition. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> so, 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 you know, some people will say I'm being chivalrous. Some people will say, oh, damn, I'm throwing her to the wolves first. Uh, so. <laughs> you can't win. You can't win. Well, one thing so, that I so, want to do, I wa- say is that I'm excited about, you know, the direction of where the W is going. I'm excited about what Lisa Borders has been able to do, especially with NBA uh, 2K18. I'm still looking for people to play me when that drops. So if anybody of you want to sign up, I'm definitely down to do that. I'm excited. I'll be uh, covering the finals um, for the WBA uh, NBTB. So excited to be there. And then you can find me on uh, Twitter at Angel underscore Gray One. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Well, Angel, anytime we have you involved in the WNBA, it's a good thing. That's for sure. You definitely are a knowledgeable and a, pre- a presenter of information that, with high skill and entertainment level. Uh, thank you very much. I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, talk to me. All right. Well, uh, you will not find me on NBA TV. It's very unfortunate. But you can find me at every Sky home game. I sit courtside. You can probably just seek me out if you want to stalk me or whatever. Uh, if you want to read my writing for whatever reason, uh, fanragsports.com slash author slash enemchak. My Twitter handle is at nemchak e, which I've been told is confusing because it's my last name and then my first initial. But people, like, can't get that for some reason. But that's okay. That's That's why I'm here to clarify it. Um, as far as WNBA stuff goes, um, keep an eye on that playoff race because it's getting really tight and there's a lot of big uh, implications going on. Seattle comes to Chicago twice down the home stretch. That could be big for uh, not only playoff implications but lottery implications as well. Um, we got Dallas in the mix. We got uh, you know Atlanta's not dead totally, so it's going to be a fun, uh, fun, uh, fun home stretch, and uh, hopefully we can all come together and. I'd love to talk basketball with you guys. Be a part of it. Well, it's been great having you. Thank you for having me on, by the way. Thank you very much. The one last thing I'd like the one last thing I'd like to say is, you know, I meant I had mentioned it in the past, but I'm gonna really push now since the Sun are currently in the third spot. Hey, we gotta get rid of that single elimination third and fourth seed game. We gotta make that into a series. Because I don't wanna see the Sun be the New York Liberty. Uh so absolutely. That, that's my one thought, the parting shot for today. Uh, again, Eric and Angel, thanks again. It's always great to talk to both of you, and it's a pleasure to have you both on the podcast, and I look forward to having you guys on again. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hi, I am Cynthia Cooper, named to the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, and you're listening to Dishing and Swishing. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel. It's a pleasure to welcome you back to Dishing and Swishing. And, you know, we had talked last week to Coach Jeff Walls about his U23 team and going over and playing in a tournament over there. 
But we're going to stick with the USA theme, and it's a pleasure to welcome back to Dishon and Swish and Coach Brenda Fries from the University of Maryland, whose team is heading over, and she is coaching in the World University Games. Coach, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So this this is some big doings. This is some big times. This is only the third time an entire team has been chosen to represent the United States. So uh, there must be a lot of excitement going on there. There really is, and I mean, it's just an incredible opportunity that we're extremely honored, uh, not only to be able to represent our, our own university uh, and take our entire team uh, over to the World University Games, but then to obviously represent the red, white, and blue and being able to represent our country. You know, it, I'm sure it was, you know, transferring is a way of life now, and you lost your share this year, so it's got to be nice to have this opportunity to integrate some of the new players and to, you know, get the veterans some more exposure and some more experience in lead roles that they're going to be facing this year. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, with this opportunity, I mean, we've been able to have unlimited practices because of uh, Team USA and, uh, you know, introducing a new freshman, Shanice Lewis, is doing a phenomenal job taking the reins and and leading and guiding this team. And then we've had players that have been uh, kind of waiting their turn behind Brianna Jones and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. So uh, the fact that they're having uh, these practices and these games internationally is going to be huge moving forward for our upcoming season. Now, Coach, despite all your success and everything you've had, between the uh, off-the-court issues with the family and everything, uh, this is really your – I think this is your first head coaching with a USA basketball team, correct? Yeah, yeah, I've, um, you know, obviously been extremely selective uh, as I've had my time to to, it, to go over and have turned them down due to my family. But um, this one was too good to, to pass up when given the opportunity to uh, take your own team and staff and, and represent your country. Uh, for me, it made sense, you know. I mean, it's a win-win when you're taking care of your program and, and uh, not being away from them and your staff and, uh, the opportunity for, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to get better across the board. Uh, come on, tell the truth. The real reason was you finally wanted to coach Tori Jankowska instead of having a defender. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Tori Jankowska is uh, special, and I always saw that and watched it from afar for four years in the Big Ten. But um, given the fact that, uh, you know, our roster and needing a little bit more depth, we were able to invite her to come with us and, uh, she's been everything I thought she was and then some. I mean, just uh, not only as a basketball player, but as an incredible human human being. And we're excited to be able to welcome and afford the opportunity for Tori to be on this roster with us. And, of course, you know, once they graduate, you rarely get a chance to coach them again. So it's nice to have Melina Howard back, I'm sure, and get another get another run with her on the court. Yeah, you know, I mean, anytime you can have those, uh, you know, vets on your team, uh, you know, that – are extremely mature. You know, Melina is, you know, a player in our system that uh, brings so many things to the table, both on and off the court. So, uh, you know, she's been so valuable. And, you know, to be able to give her this experience, to take her over to Taiwan, and she's had international experience, haven't played before with USA Basketball. So, um, she'll really be able to help this team. So, as you look at the team and what you've seen so far, uh, you know, Kayla Charles and Kristen Confroy are the two that, you know, jump to mind along with Aisha Small, of course. Yeah. Uh, as players that we should be looking for to be the, the focal points or leaders out of the returning group. 
Uh, is that a fair assessment to make, or has there been somebody else that we should yeah, really keep an eye on? Three and those three and Brianna Fraser. You know, Brianna is the one who spent two solid years behind Brianna Jones inside, and uh, the jump she has made uh, is a jump we absolutely needed her to be able to make. So uh, she was our leading scorer in one of our scrimmages this past weekend, and uh, at six foot four, I mean, she's just uh, really given us a tremendous uh, post game, face up game, and really long and versatile. So I'm happy for her for, for the time that she's put in, being patient uh, and, and being ready for this opportunity that presents itself. Now, people, I've read that Australia is one of the favorites, of course. They always seem to be a top-notch team. Is there anybody in particular other than that that we should be looking for for other teams that could give your team a real good run? You know, I mean, uh, obviously we're, you know, concerned first and foremost getting out of pool play. So we'll have three games in three days and how our our team, you know, adjusts to that. But, um, no, I think obviously Australia is always going to be a team that um, will we'll be well prepared and, and knows what to expect. Now, when they approached you about doing this, going with your team, uh, how, how did that come about? How was your team chosen? I mean, obviously you're big, you know, always a force to win a possible national championship, Big Ten champion. Yeah, how did they come to you and ask if you were interested? Yeah, well, I'm not sure of how they went about in terms of their selection process. You know, we were coming off at the time with uh, the number one recruiting class in the country uh, with our freshman class coming in. So I think that was something that was extremely exciting uh, for them to be able to look at on paper. Um, Obviously, our uh, tradition and our success as well. So, you know, when we received the phone call to – um, gosh, probably a year, year and a half ago to inquire, uh, you know, would we be interested to get all the details? And, uh, you know, for us, I mean, it was just seemed too good to, to be true and, and to pass up. So uh, we're really fortunate and feel um, honored to, to be able to re- represent our country. You know, I have a problem with your team being selected because that's with all of these unlimited practices and such. You know, I've got both Brianna Jones and Alyssa Thomas up here, and you haven't been able to make a trip up here. You've been so busy. <laughs> I have been so busy. You know, I was able to support them when they came down here uh, to play the Mystics, uh, you know, earlier in the season. But I've definitely been following them from afar and uh, pull up their box scores. You know, it's awesome to be able to see them clinch to, to, to get a playoff spot. I know that was a big goal. and. The season that Alyssa Thomas is having, uh, it's no surprise to me. I mean, that's the type of player and competitor that she is. It must be nice, though. You know, you sit there, and as the years roll by and you look on and you see them and Shatori now is starting in Washington and Marissa's still around, of course, and, you know, Christy doing her thing in Washington. You know, it's got to be great to sit back as a coach and say, wow, you know, look at all the WNBA players I've put in to the league now. It really is. I mean, we took the team just the other day to the Mystics and Fever game and had four pros on the court uh, representing Maryland as, as alums. And, you know, these are the, the dreams uh, that so many of our young people come in with. And as a coaching staff, that's uh, what we want to be able to do is help develop them and, and push them and prepare them. Uh, for the next level if they're given that opportunity. So seeing those dreams come true and, and these, uh, you know, opportunities for, for them, um, we just feel really fortunate and blessed that uh, they're continuing on in, in their careers. So just so for people that aren't familiar with what's going on with the, with these games, so to, to put a cap on this, 
what is the schedule? You play how many exhibition games, and then it starts with pool play and goes from where? Yeah, you know, um, well, we actually fly out tomorrow, a nice, beautiful uh, 15-hour flight to Taipei Direct, and uh, we'll land, acclimate quickly to a 12-hour time change, and then we have two friendlies, uh, one with Taipei and uh, one with Australia, and then uh, we get prepared for uh, the opening ceremonies, which will be uh, on Saturday, and then pool place for us starts up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, with Uganda, Poland, and Czech. And out of that is when you start going into competing for your medal rounds. And um, all told, we're, we're over there for about 16 days, just a little bit over two weeks. Nice. And uh, as we mentioned off the air, just so people were cons- if people were wondering, you know, you- you're going to be in a village a la the Olympic Games. You know, you're not – overly concerned about the situation out in the far west right now politically yeah no i mean uh, the safety obviously is our number one concern and uh you know how the, they've been organized from a to z i mean we are in a very secure olympic village and you know th- you know back and forth between games and and different sites so um i know our university you know feels very comfortable in terms of where we're headed and and what we're going to be doing so uh you know we, we feel really good about it so what else other than your team are you looking forward to seeing for other sports well you know uh, you know from the men's basketball side uh, another big 10 opponent purdue uh, men's basketball team has been selected so i know we're really looking forward to going out and supporting another big 10 team and uh, i know that you know they, they've got a challenging task ahead of themselves as well so uh, we want to get it but I'm really excited. I mean, between the village and the different games, and you know, if there is some free time that that uh, we have, I mean, being able to, to support this, it's you know, kind of a, a little mini window under the Olympics, going to the World University Games. So uh, we're really looking forward to just experiencing it all. Well, Coach, congratulations on having your team go. I'm sure it's going to be a great once in a lifetime experience for them, and I'm sure that uh, you'll take advantage of every possible opportunity to to culture and enjoy the time there. Well, thank you so much. We're really looking forward to it. And uh, go Terps and go USA. Sounds good. Take care, Coach. Safe travels. Thank you.